0: Last week, we began an eight-week series called "Live," based out of the book of Philippians, where we've been looking at uh, Philippians. It was a letter written to uh, the church at Philippi by Paul, and um, he was. It, it's it's a unique book in the sense that it's it's not a letter of correction for any reason. It's really a book of encouragement. So. Many of Paul's letters, Corinthians and Ephesians, Galatians, were books that were written or letters that were written to correct some problem within the church. Not, Philipp- not the book of Philippians. It's an encouraging book. And so in that mindset, I want us to recognise, or Paul outlines for us and help us to recognise, <coughs> goodness me, help us to recognise that um God has given Paul some uh, principles that we can live by in our culture and in our day. So, thank you for that today. As we enter into um, this second of this series called um, "Live," so th- thank you, Pete. God bless you, matey. That's just added to the next lot of things that I forgot. So I, I want us to recognise that we have spoken about this in some ways when we're talking about the scriptures and talking about what's going on in our world. And you know, Paul's encouraging us to abide by the things of our nation, but he's also wanting us to be continually living in a Christ-like manner. We the reality is, while Paul was in a situation where he was um, imprisoned for his faith we're not at that point in australia just yet we're very close but we're not at that point just yet but we are living in a in a society of continually or, or continuing increasingly so anti-christ sentiment it's going it's happening more and more and those who profess christ as their lord and savior are going to come under attack there is no question in my mind and it's going to call for us to be very strong in what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And and, and I've said this to you before, it's, it's, it's hard because we can't even begin to understand all the various things that are going to come uh, before our government and before us and what our government's are going to put upon us if we try and figure out all the nitty-gritty of those sorts of things we're going to get lost in the in the whole process we're going to get distracted from what we've been called to do there are some who have that responsibility upon them but others of us don't have that responsibility so when we are called before jesus christ at the end of our lives we are going to be called to give an account of what we We're called to do so. Let's not get distracted on those things. And as I've shared many, many times before, it's not about understanding all the various laws that we need to be so familiar with this book that we know anything that does not measure up to the standard that's laid out here for us is not truth. That's all we've got to do. We've got one job, and it's to understand and read and study the Word of God. And if we can do that, then it doesn't matter what comes before us, what new law, what idea that comes before us, we can easily recognize whether this is a godly thing or not, and we can decide based on the word of God what our response should be. That's the key for us in all of this series, and in fact all of everything, is understanding The Word of God, and we're going to be dealing with a little bit of. um, Some of it's going to be a little heavier than other times, but I'm I'm hoping that today is going to be a wonderful day for us to just understand where it is. God wants me to be. God wants us and me as your pastor to be, in relation to all this. So can I pray before we get too much further? Father, may my words be acceptable to you. May our hearts be acceptable to you. May our thoughts be directed to your word. And may, Father, you speak to us now as we enter into this now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week I gave you two ingredients that uh, Paul outlines in Philippians 1, 1 to 11 of Uh, And there's a couple of other things there if you've missed it or you, you thought I missed it. I haven't missed it. It's just that we haven't had the time to get through them all. Go and study it for yourself. But last week I mentioned two ingredients that were necessary for us to live, not just as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but to be able to persevere through the difficulties that we are all going to have to face. The first one was to understand the the term bondservant, and to recognize what that means for us, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And the second was to recognize that the natural result of our, of our heart, that, uh, of any heart that has been transformed, will be that um, we will have the ability and the desire to produce fruit of righteousness. Now, if you don't know what I've just been talking about Go back and listen to last week. We don't need to go through all that again. But understand the term bondservant, servant. Understand the term fruit of righteousness because those two things go hand in hand with what we're going to be starting on or sharing again today. And so I'm going to add a couple more of ingredients to what um, I spoke about last week and to this concept of living for Jesus. We're going to pick up Philippians 1 verse 12. We finished at verse 11 last week. And today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that, but just that's what's going to be on screen. And follow along in your own words if you've got your scriptures with you. So verse 12 in Philippians 1 says, And I want to show you... Oh, sorry. <clears throat> that's a good start. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Remember, Paul's in chains, okay? I want us to recognize that. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is preached in either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me this will lead to my deliverance for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold For Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this... I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Okay, that's the end of the chapter. We'll stop right there. There are so many options or pathways we could travel today from this passage. So many. Um, but again, I, I want to just look at the the ingredients that we need for our Christian faith. What are what are some of these ingredients? that we need to have in our lives for a total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So three more ingredients to add to the two from last week. So to start off this morning, I want to uh, tell you the first, the first point. If you've got your sermon notes, you're filling in blanks, the, the first thing I want us to see is that there is a need to count the cost Paul alludes to this in 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 many ways here in this passage but a lot of other places as well. To put this in perspective, I I really do need to point out I mentioned it as I was reading through the scriptures, but if you haven't picked up on this, Paul is in house arrest in chains. Okay, he's been imprisoned because of his preaching the gospel message. No other reason. The authorities didn't like it. They put him in chains to stop him talking, and they've locked him up, and they've got a guard around him. And uh, he has some uh, privileges of people being there, but he, he's really under arrest, not able to do the things that he wants to do. But the interesting thing about that is that this arrest that Paul is under is, has not hindered his purpose for sharing the gospel. He, he hasn't been limited in, well he may have been limited from our point of view, but realistically he hasn't been limited at all because it actually tells us that the whole palace guard even knows that, that he was in chains because of Christ. So just because Paul's been put in chains, that rather than hindering him or stop him from doing what he thinks, oh, I've been called to the Gentiles, I can't get to them, what am I going to do? What does he do? He does what he's being called to do anyway. And the whole palace guard, whether they believe it or not, some did, but whether they believe it or not, they know why he's in chains. Because he preaches to them. And not only that, but it says, Paul says, because of his boldness and commitment that, and the call that has been upon him, Other believers themselves that are part of the whole scenario have begun to have great confidence and have been boldly speaking God's message without any fear. So Paul's imprisonment and his willingness to speak up regardless of his imprisonment has encouraged the other believers to stand up and be true to that as well. And it's also clear from this passage that Paul wasn't even certain how this part of his life was going to end up. He wasn't sure whether he was going to be put to death like others or he was going to be living. That's the, the part in the middle where he says, you know what, I don't know. I just pray or I just hope that I've got the courage to stand firm through it all. Whether I whether I'm going to be killed for my faith or I'm let off for some reason. I don't know what that's going to be. In fact, I don't even know which one I want. That's where Paul's heart is at the moment. It's not that he was giving up. It's not like, I'd rather be dead. He wasn't doing it like that. And I think sometimes we interpret that verse and we think, you know what? Paul even wanted to be dead. No, he didn't. It was the context he was in that meant that he needed to be able to let everyone know that, you know what? It's okay. If this doesn't work out the way that we expect, I'm happy with that because for me to live is Christ. And if I don't, then if I, if I go to be with him, then, I, then I'm going to be in heaven with him. It's going to be a blessing either way. So that's Paul's context. They're the facts that um, we've been dealt with in this part of Philippians. So the question I have each time as I'm reading Scripture, what's my lesson? What is God wanting me to see? What is he wanting me to understand? What can I learn from these few verses that we've been able to read this morning? And I think the answer to that is quite clear to me in some respects. How far am I willing to go? What's my breaking point? If I were in chains and I was in Paul's situation, would I... Be reluctant to do what Paul would do. How far am I willing to go to ensure that others get to hear about the word of God and have the opportunity to respond to the gospel? How faithful would I be to the gospel if I was put under that type of persecution? And Paul's been put under a lot of it. And I, and I understand that we need to recognize that Jesus had made it abundantly clear for all of us and for all of those people then that persecution and problems were a normal part of being a Christian. They were absolutely normal. So we shouldn't think it strange that suffering comes upon Christians. We shouldn't think it weird that others will be suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke 21, speaking about the future, he says um, this, he said, but before all this occurs, he was talking about all the coming back again stuff, but before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons, you'll stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So even what Jesus is saying, that's not the worst case scenario. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to come under immense uh, struggles and problems. You're going to be imprisoned, some of you. And so rather than that being a problem, that's actually your opportunity to go and tell them, them about me. How else will prison guards and prisoners get to experience that if no one tells them? That's essentially what Jesus is saying. He didn't even try and suggest that following him was going to be this easy flow, you know, luxury, flowed on the crowd, uh, clouds kind of life. In fact, he says you're going to be persecuted for your faith. Even further than that, down a couple of verses in 21.16, he says, even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives and friends, they're going to betray you. They'll even kill some of you. The very ones that we trust are probably going to be some of those that will turn against us. Never once did Jesus even suggest that being a disciple was going to be easy. So we shouldn't even think that what's going on, what in the world is going on now? Why am I struggling so much? Why are so many things happening If we are faithful to the message of Christ, if we are desirous and trying and endeavouring to proclaim Christ, expect problems. And it will come from every direction. Not once did he ever suggest either that being a follower of Jesus Christ was meant that we had or could be half-hearted in our walk with him. It wasn't something that, my favorite, my favorite word of all time, and I don't even know why it is, it's a terrible word, but my favorite word to say is mediocrity. Why are we so mediocre in our lifestyle with Christ at times? You know, we're so ho-hum, half-hearted. We, last series, or the series, the Drift series, yes, we saw Jesus' attitude to half-heartedness or lukewarmness. He in, in fact the scriptures tell us that if we are lukewarm in our or tepid in our faith he wants to just spit you out of the mouth. He make you we make him sick by being lukewarm. So if being tepid and lukewarm is contrary and abnormal and substandard by Jesus's understanding and definition, what makes us think that being, when we can become a follower of Jesus Christ and think that we can have our, and live our life expecting this this love and, and comfort and prosperity, what makes us think that that's normal? When Jesus has actually said quite the contrary. Why is it that so many Christian leaders across our world tell us uh, the, the, the are communi- uh, the um, consumeristic Christian that we can have what we want, that it's OK to be like that. Just you know, God's going to bless you, just He's going to bless you abundantly so you can have all the things that you need. I think what the problem is that we have begun to believe the lie that Satan has spread throughout the body of believers is that God is just a God of love. He's not worried about all that stuff. He just wants you to sit back and relax. Don't worry about anything and it'll be okay. The problem is when we believe that, we don't do what we've been called to do. If, If Satan is not bothering us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's probably we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing anyway so listen and we need to understand that Satan wants us to enjoy life and have plenty of money he wants us to believe that that's the normal Christian life and it's not he wants us to understand or think that materialistic blessings are going to be what comes as a faith followers believing the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior it's not it may it may God may bless us materialistically through the process, but that's not what Jesus says is going to happen to those who take seriously following the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to count the cost. Nowhere in scripture does it tell us that we could have that kind of lifestyle. We need to count the cost. Luke 14, Jesus actually says that, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. What Jesus is saying there, everything else has to come second or third or fourth. It's not the priority. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. But don't begin this process, he says, until you count the cost. For that would begin, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it. Don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ unless you have counted the cost of doing so. Now, is the cost worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul recognized that his faith in Jesus Christ was going to cost him. And it cost him his freedom, it cost him his health, it certainly did not have it easy anywhere in life. Just, I'm not going to read all of this, there's going to be some scriptures up there. But essentially, 2 Corinthians 11 outlines some of the things that Paul had to endure. He says five times, verse 24, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They weren't allowed to give him 40. Because that was one of the things, if you gave someone 40, it would probably kill them. So you give them 39 so they can wear the worst of the pain and still live. You can work that one out. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled so many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And i faced danger from men who claim to be believers or not. Paul did not have it easy. He, he struggled on all of those things and yet... He concludes that. He says, I count all that for nothing. It doesn't matter. Paul considered the cost of that persecution or the cost of following Jesus was absolutely worth it. He had made a decision. He would counted the cost of what it was going to take to follow Jesus Christ and determined that hardships and insecurities and health issues and all of the struggles that he was going to face while on this planet was worth it. And they paled into insignificance against the, the, the set of the joy that was set before him that was to come. Why? Because he knew that Christ was going to have the final word. He has the victory. And our short-term hardships, which all of us will face, I don't care. Let me rephrase that. I do care. But it doesn't matter that we might think, well, you know what? I've lived a whole life. My whole life has been hardship. I've lived for 90 years and every single day has been a struggle. Can I just suggest to you that's probably not okay for some, on some levels, but in the light of eternity, it's nothing. Even if my entire life should be a struggle, I've I've used this illustration many times, but we've got to understand what eternity is. Draw a line, imaginary line, out the windows, as far as you can see, and watch that line disappear onto the horizon. Then take your pen or whatever you've got, or a pencil or, or a piece of stick or something, and scratch a line on the imaginary line that you've got. The width of your imaginary line somehow may demonstrate the length of our life on this planet in, compar- in, compar- in comparison to the eternal life. Comparison. It's nothing. Even if 80 or 90 or 150, does anyone hear that old? I don't think so. Uh, live that long. It's nothing in comparison to what we have. So Paul Recognized nothing was too much to bear, too much to endure, too hard to cope with, or knowing because he knew that the gospel was being preached to all people in all places, and he was happy to do that. Point two the gospel is the priority. I, I guess this is probably for me the important part the, the, of the three points today. This is the most important the gospel, the mess, the, the gospel. By that I mean the story of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is central to everything. Take away the gospel, we have no meaning, purpose, hope, anything, and it it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. The, The gospel message is central for everything, and Paul understood that. Even when it is clear from what we read before in Philippians one that some were actually starting to preach Christ with wrong motives. Now, this is this I, I kind of smile when I read this and, and imagine a whole heap of other things. But some people seem to be jealous of Paul's popularity or something. Seem, Perhaps popularity among the Christians, among Christ's followers, so they mimicked his message. They they preached the word of God in order to become more popular for themselves. Paul knew what they were doing. He mentions it before. So long as the gospel was being preached, their motivation for the was for the sake of the gospel irrelevant. In Paul's mind. He says, you know what? Some are doing that. That's true. Some are preaching the word of God and it's for their own selfishness. They're, they're being jealous. They're, they're just rivalry and stuff that's happening. But it doesn't matter so long as the gospel is being preached. I think that's important for us to understand. As long as though what we understand is being the gospel is being preached... As long as what these envious, jealous people said was true, it didn't matter. It made little difference. Even when it meant that Paul suffered more because of it. The priority was the gospel message. He says, we read it before, those who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter, he says, because whether their motives are false or they're genuine, their message about Christ is being preached either way. So I'm happy about that. I rejoice that the message of Christ is going out, which again, as a Christ follower, I need to ask, what's my lesson? What's my motive for preaching the word of God? Is it to make a name or it's a big church or is it to, to do something from a materialistic point of view What is my motive for sharing the gospel? What is your motive for sharing the gospel? What is our motive as a church for sharing the gospel? And I need to check my attitude on those things as well. I need to check my attitude when other churches seem to be doing really, really well and and all we're doing is seemingly struggling. I need to check my attitude about when other ministries become more successful than something we've slogged at for a long, long time. There's a lot of questions we perhaps need to ask but we really do need to come back to motive and attitude. How do we go when, when we seem to work really, really hard on something and make little ground and someone else comes in and it just gets blown out of the water? It's frustrating. I'll tell you what else is frustrating is when you can share a message and every pastor I've ever talked to has said this same thing. You can preach the word of God And you get no response you take that same group of people into a different setting like a camp or a retreat and you preach exactly the same message and the whole place erupts why is that it's because our attitude as we come I think we come in expecting change we expect to have to Think about things or we want to and desire that's how we should come every single day expect to be challenged expect to be changed the way that Paul addresses it he says as long as the message is true the winner is the gospel of Jesus Christ it doesn't matter what their motives are so long as the gospel is being preached faithfully that's what his conclusion is that being said while preaching Christ with wrong motives may be good for the gospel It may not be good for the one preaching in long term. And we need to be careful about that. If if we think, oh, well, you know what, it doesn't matter. Gospel's being shared. I can do what I want. Be careful of that. Because at the end of the day, we are going to face judgment on what we have done and being called to do. And God can and use all things to work together for good for those who love him. That's true. Romans 8.28 tells us that. All things do work together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. But the consequ- there are consequences for those who, do, uh, who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The one with the wrong motives will need to have a change of heart. There is still hope while we have breath. The most important thing for Paul was, though, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. And we need to be supporting one another and encouraging one another so that the gospel is, is, is not only preached and lived out in a way that brings glory to ourselves, but it, it, in fact it shouldn't do that. It should always bring glory and honour to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be focused on. That means we all need to know and we all need to understand what the gospel is about. Believers that are both called to present and defend the Christian message, the faith message that we have and respectfully and lovingly bring help people come to understand a faith or have a faith in Jesus Christ loving people we don't have to agree with or like what they have done but we need to love people we really do in our culture the the line between those two things is being really really blurred and we're being, and people are being accused of not loving people for what they're doing or what they're like. That shouldn't be the case for us as Christians. Love the person. If you don't like what they're doing or they're doing something that's contrary to the word of God, we need to deal with that, but love the person. They're, God loves them. God sent his son into this world so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. Not just some Let's love people. Lastly, and we're going to quickly do this one, endurance is the key. Endurance is the key. Now this is something we have spoken about and we're going to continue to speak about because I think it's also quite important. But it's a lot, we've, we've talked about a lot over the past few weeks and the importance of perseverance and endurance to the end. Look what Paul says in Philippians 27. 127. He says, above all, You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Paul's talking about persevering. He's talking about whether I'm there or not. Stick with the message. Do what you've been called to do. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't let them distract you from what you're trying to do. This will be a sign to them, for they are going to be destroyed for doing that. But Sorry, this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege which is a weird word in some respects, of suffering for him. So Paul is saying quite plainly that we have to endure this, we have to persevere this. And I, I realise that I've skipped over probably one of the most recognised verses of, of, of Philippians 1, in Philippians 1.21, where he says, for me to live is Christ. And dying is even better, dying is gain. And there's a reason I skipped over that verse, because it's because I've, I've heard it quoted to me so many times from people who have given up on life. You know what, Paul, I've said it before, Paul, Paul just gave up. He, he wanted to die. He said it would be better for him to die. I feel the same way. Paul wanted to be with Jesus, but he had to be satisfied with staying here. I've heard that phrase. But I want you to notice that in the context of this, I've mentioned this before, Paul is not talking like that. He's not saying that. This is not Paul wanting to give up. This is Paul being a realist when he says, you know what, I don't know what the future holds for me. I'm in prison, I'm in chains, I've got a guard, I'm probably going to be put to death, I don't know whether I'm going to live or I'm going to die. It doesn't matter to me whether I live or die. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, I, I, you know what, I give up. He's saying if I, if I died, I get to be with Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But if I, if I live, I get to share Christ with you. Both are a winner. Sure, I'd rather be with Christ and be out of all of this, but I'd also rather make sure that you guys hear the message of Christ. That's the context he's saying. I want to make sure that I bring honour to God in what we do. For I fully expect, he says in verse 20, and hope that I will never be ashamed in this process is what he's talking about. In, in all of this persecution, in the chains, in the imprisonment, all of that, I really, really fully expect and hope that I will not be ashamed but that I will continue to hold Christ as I have done in the past. I'm asking for your help and prayers that I will be able to be sustained through the difficulties that are going on in here. There's, there's no sense in those comments of Paul deciding that he's giving up or quitting, which is why I wanted to conclude it here, because it's about perseverance. Paul's encouraging us to continue in, in a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on our life. It's going to get hard. It really is going to get harder for those who follow the Lord, who, who publicly and boldly proclaim Christ. If you don't want to face all that, you can hide behind the curtains of things and be disguised as something else, but the, the one that God is going to bring get blessings and be blessing to others is those who persevere to the end. Paul encourages us not to be intimidated by those who might call themselves our enemies or stand against what we believe because there's a bunch of them there's a bunch of them and he's encouraging us to live by the principles of those who the, the principle is that those who persevere to the end will be saved that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 he wants us to live by that principle that instruction given by Jesus was in the context of persecution it was given in the context of arrest it was given in the context of hatred betrayal lies deception N- never was there a sense that giving up was an option from jesus paul or any of the disciples who went on and many of the and every other person since who has been faithful in the calling our example is jesus christ who endured the cross for our sake who for the joy set before him, for the joy of knowing what was still to come, knowing that suffering for the short period of time was worth the big picture, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, so that we could have the opportunity of receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour as well. To be an example so that when we face difficulties, we could not lose sight of the big picture. We have been saved for a purpose. You have been given a calling, a high calling to proclaim Christ. And that should be our response. We need to make sure that we have our eyes open to the fact that this world is not all there is that come your day of earthly departure that's not the end of all things this world is not as good as it gets there is a bigger and there is a better world to look forward to it's right through scripture there is, a, there is a spiritual world that is running in parallel to this physical world that is that is orchestrating things that we don't yet see, but have have, have effects in them and manifest themselves in way that we attribute to all sorts of things. It's happening. So we continue through this letter of, of Paul to the Philippian church. And there are a bunch of principles and characteristics that we need to be, have in our Christ life. And the list grows from understanding what it means to be a bond servant to displaying the fruit of righteousness to being willing to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple to making our life and all that we do centre around the word of God. Understand the word of God and then have the courage to not give up. If you can do that, I know those principles will set us on a path where God wants us to be. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 comes to mind and I'll put it's on the screen. But trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. May God bless you as you serve him faithfully, enduring through the difficulties that will come. I don't know what this week's going to bring for you. In fact, if I knew what this week was going to, last past week was going to bring for me last Sunday, I'm not sure that I would have wanted to live through it. And I'm confident that's why we don't get told these things in advance. Many of us have pulled the plug. We don't want that. God doesn't want that. He wants us to build our character. He wants us to, to work through these things and to put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and live the way that he wants us to live. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Father, I thank you that you are in control. And Lord, while all of the nonsense of our world permeates pretty much everything we do, from our Australian election stuff that's coming up to local government stuff here to state government stuff that's happening in here that frustrates us, that irritates us, that gets us thinking about things sometimes, Lord, that we should not even be thinking about, Father, we ask for your help. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us not to cast our eyes upon this world and get hooked up with all of that, but to to keep our eyes fixed upon you so that we might know the truth, that we might live the truth, that we might display the truth to a world that is living in darkness, that we could be light and should be light to the darkness of this world. And, we'll, and Father, we know it's, it's just a principle of, of physics that light and darkness cannot live together. You cannot have darkness and light together. So Father, we want to be in a world that's going to display your light. We want to share Jesus Christ. So whether we live or we die, help us to be honouring to you and not ashamed of the gospel not afraid to give up, not worried about the future, not concerned about what is the suffering that's going to happen, but to recognise that our responsibility is to honour you no matter what. Help us to have that as we live as a bond servant today. Bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.